Race the Bottom, episode 8. I'm your host, Joe Harden. Last week in the High Court saw a monumental step forward for Blackpool Football Club as the Oyston family were finally forced by High Court for the club to be placed into receivership, meaning that Owen Oyston, current owner of Blackpool FC, to be asset stripped as he did to Blackpool to repay Valerie Bellacon, the president of Blackpool FC. Many activist groups have been seminal in bringing the end of the Oyston tenure about, and none more so than the Tangerine Knights. So in this episode, I had the opportunity to speak to Evie of the Tangerine Knights, who was able to share some insight into the role that they have played, the role that they will play, and how social media has been a positive force in the organisation side of non-violent direct action groups like Tangerine Knights. Hope you enjoyed the interview. I'll speak to you at the end. Well, thank you very much, Evie, for coming on to Race to the Bottom podcast. Before we talk about the role of the Tangerine Knights, I would like to first talk about the history of the Oyston tenure. Yeah, so obviously Blackpool are a very historic club. We've existed for 131 years. And Oyston took over in 1988. He became chairman. And we were in a dire situation. And it's many people's opinion. It is a controversial sort of topic as to whether he saved the club. But he would say that he did. And then from then on, Blackpool bounced around League One and League Two. And then in 1996, Oyston was convicted of rape and indecent assault and spent three years in prison. Vicky Oyston, his wife, then took on the chairman role. And then Carl Oyston took over his son. And then in 2006, Bellacom then came into the fold. And I think he'll come up a little bit more later. But yeah, so that's sort of the history of the Oyston ownership pre-Oyston Out campaign. Would it be right, Evie, to cite kind of that 2010, 2011, what I hope was still thought of as a magical season um, in the Premier League? It was kind of the fallout of that and the funds that were removed by Oyston that really drove the growth of what you've done. Yeah, so I'm I'm 21. So growing up, Blackpool was always a very like underfunded club. When I um, first started going, we had two stands that were built. One, what's now our south stand, was a car park. And our east stand was this temporary, terrible sort of monstrosity. So we were always very underfunded and we felt like we should probably be a second division side and we were bouncing around lower league. So people were always critical of Oyston. But yeah, once we accidentally got into the Premier League or got into the Premier League off Bellacom's money, which is usually, well, our view... The club made £140 million off of our Premier League season. And when that money didn't make its way into our squad or into our training ground or anywhere within the club, that's sort of when it became very toxic and the Oyster Out sentiment really rose from there. Yeah, it's become a really powerful protest that seems to have grown into a movement. With regards to the Tangerine Knights, yeah. What I wanted to explore with you is how social media has played a really positive part in the organisation side of what you guys are about and non-violent direct action protests. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So the Tangerine Knights are only one supporter group out of many that are oyster out. But I think what makes the Tangerine Knights unique is that they are set up purely to 
oust the oysters that's their sole aim and i think it's sort of blown up into a thing that people didn't think it would we've got seven thousand facebook followers and get support from all over the world the other day we posted a video and i saw people from like colombia and countries that we'd never have thought would have heard of blackpool seeing our videos so it's yeah it's been really amazing and sort of then the solidarity that's come from other fans through social media has been really nice Could you share more about the Not A Penny More protest, the campaign and what that is all about? Because I think that's been a really powerful stance to take. Yeah, so in 2014, we started doing big sort of protests. We did a tennis ball protest in April 2014. I did love that one. Yeah, and Oyston's response, well, Carl Oyston's response was to put up a picture of his children with tennis rackets. So it was all sort of poking at at us and we felt like direct action like that wasn't having the effect that we wanted it to. It was almost feeding him. Um, Once the Oyston started suing fans... So he started suing fans for putting statements up on Facebook. Frank Knight was a pensioner and he sued him for £20,000. It became obvious that we couldn't financially support the Oystons anymore and we had to withdraw our financial support for the club in order to do that. The boycott started in 2015 after Judgment Day. So basically before the 2014-2015 season we had eight players signed and then we had no goalkeeper. Carl Oyston said that it will all be fine, we've just had a change of manager so they're overhauling our squad and to judge him in May. By May we were relegated um, so we had a Judgment Day where we carried a coffin and had a massive march. We played Huddersfield and people ran on the pitch in the 53rd minute and got the game abandoned. Not a penny more really started then. So that was the last game I've attended at Bloomfield Road. And some people's boycott started way before then, mm-hmm. um, mainly because they were banned. Carl Oyston started banning a lot of fans for Oyston Out sentiment, so they could no longer attend the games. But yeah, the official Not A Penny More really started after that Huddersfield game. We then had a back-to-back relegation, so we got relegated that season. We then got relegated into League Two the next season, and then we got to Wembley. And that was the hardest thing, really, because that was where, was Not A Penny More going to stick? Were we going to stay with it? Mm. But we did. I don't really know what the official attendance was. In the pictures, it just looks empty. It's very sad. And that's the season where we got promoted and the club lost an estimated 2.2 million. So the boycott started having a huge impact. We also released a fan shirt, so we weren't buying any sort of merchandise from the club. And we didn't stuff away fans coming to Bloomfield Road, but what we do is VST would stand outside the ground and hand out leaflets and ask people not to buy food and drink inside the ground. And every single fan base we came across supported that and were in solidarity with us, which was lovely. It's good that you say that because just kind of looking at the solidarity that you've received from not just clubs of a similar plight at the moment, and mm-hmm. the sad thing is there's a number, yeah. um, but all clubs, it seems to be really mm-hmm. powerful that, you know, through social media that you've been able to network and receive a whole lot of support, which yeah. seems to have worked really positively with the last couple of months rulings uh, yeah. that have come to the forefront. Could you talk about last week where they are with the receivership? Yeah, so I believe BST have just spoken with the receiver and they haven't taken all of the books yet. So they're they're not in complete financial control of the club yet, but they will be in the next coming weeks. 
So the hope is then Oyston will be completely not associated with the club and then we'll be able to start going back to games and not have any more can end. We'd hope that that would be the Oxford game this weekend. Yes, yeah, there um, was a lot yeah. of coverage that that was going to be a really emotional day, but it seems to be put on hold until the CAR sorted that part of it out. Yeah, so we're hoping it will be the ninth, which is the South End game. But, you know, we've waited for four years some people more and also Bellicon's legal action started in 2015 so I don't think most fans were expecting you know all this legal stuff to resolve itself overnight I think we were expecting it to take a while and it will but yeah hopefully the South End game and we'll be able to organise something big for that What does it mean for the Tangerine Knights with what seems like you know a genuine goal in sight that you're going to get your club back which Hmm. doesn't seem too far off now I wanted to ask with the solidarity of other clubs in the Hmm. EFL it seems to have grown from Oyston out to more of a discussion about the EFL's kind of fit and proper person's policy and whether that yeah. should be reformed. Is that something that perhaps the Tangerine Knights would move towards? I'm not asking you to speak on behalf no. of the, the group, but it looks like it will be a bigger thing. And I guess if this is resolved with the Oyston family no longer being part of Blackpool, what else no, will def- you do? Definitely. Our issue is not just with Oyston. It is with the way that the EFL have been treating all football clubs. It's a disgrace that they couldn't do anything about Blackpool. It's a disgrace that their rules don't allow for any sort of intervention. The Tangerine Knights, we've put up a billboard outside of the EFL quarters because they happen to be in Preston, so they're pretty near, that said Blackpool, Coventry City, Leighton Orient. They listed other clubs, not just us. And we campaigned for a petition for an independent regulator for clubs. That didn't go as sort of viral as, as we'd have liked it to, but we're not going to give up on that hope that the way that the EFL runs changes. Obviously, with the resignation today, of Sean Harvey, yeah? Yeah, who we haven't been impressed by at all and probably won't be in a few weeks' time either, depending on the, the points deduction issue. Yeah, we're hoping there will be changes. And I think the big thing is because Oyston Out became such a big deal, I think the Oyston brand and what's happened is so embarrassing for the EFL and they don't want it to happen again. So hopefully they will fix it. But, I mean, it's happened to Luton before, almost exactly the same thing, Portsmouth, and nothing changed. We're not the first club, but hopefully we can be one of the last. Yeah, let's hope so. Let's hope so. Evie, that's great with regards to the coverage that you've given it. If fans, listeners of the podcast, want to find out more about what you do, what... Tangerine Knights are doing how to lend their support what would be the best way of doing it so Tangerine Knights support page on Facebook is probably the best way to follow what we're doing and also get in contact with us BST Blackpool support is just our more official voice for all Blackpool fans we're much more of a like an activist group so both of those are really worth following Excellent. Well, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. And I wish you all the best in your endeavours and we'll be following closely what Tangerine Knights look to do in the future. Perfect. Well, as Evie said, those of you who would like to follow, support, get involved with direct action groups like Tangerine Knights, obviously they have their Facebook, their Twitter accounts, so please be active in that field. Again, a massive thank you to Tangerine Knights and to Evie for giving me the opportunity to speak to them. If you'd like to get in touch, I am at RTTB Podcast or at Genoa's Left Foot on Twitter. Uh, I have my Facebook account, Race to the Bottom Podcast. Please like or subscribe wherever you listen and please spread the word. Many thanks. See you again soon.